are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on August 9th of 2022. Going to talk about the Field of Dreams game that's happening this week. MLB makes an announcement about a series overseas. Bunch of injury news and then an unfortunate passing to the game of baseball this past week. But before we get to all of that, how are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. I'm just uh, chilling this week, uh, watching some baseball and just hanging out. So uh, it's been a been a good week so far. Ready to get talking some some baseball. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty fun to watch the the fallout of the craziness from the past week we had with the trade deadline and and uh, just see where kind of teams have stacked up so far. Who's you know, been playing well so far, who's been not playing so well. And just the overall, I mean, I, I feel for all the craziness now getting into a week later, like how, how does it feel with a week later? Like how, how's your landscape of baseball looking at it, you know, a week after the trade deadline, I know everything was so jam packed when we did it on Tuesday after it. Now we've had some time to reflect. What are your, your full thoughts on it? Um, I, I mean, I think that, people are going to panic about certain teams too quick from especially with what with the trades that they've made like like the Padres I think a lot of people are panicking about the Padres because I think they went like what two or three games without scoring a run after they made all these trades and got Drury got Juan Soto and you know but but you know baseball still a sample size game and you know if you have a few games in a row where you have something like you know some bad luck or you know you just everyone's just a little bit off you're facing good pitching for a couple games like that can happen that kind of stuff can happen and a lot of people have been talking about how the Padres have struggled and oh god they're collapsing again but uh you know and, and there's been a few of those those around you know since the trade deadline the Braves had a really bad weekend they, they got beat four out of five by the Mets who look to really be in control of the NL East now and um you know, there's been a few series like that. I think the Brewers lost, got swept by the Reds, maybe, or lost at least two to the Reds. You know, after the some of the, the Yankees. Well, the Yankees, I, I think, was they've kind of been playing that way for a, about a month now. But Frankie Montas getting lit up didn't wasn't very uh, <laughs> wasn't well, think, very good to see for them. But yeah, no, and I, I just uh, just hitting on them. I I don't even think they won a game until yesterday, until since the deadline. Um, so I think they went like zero and six or something up until that point. But yeah, I mean, you you do make some good points. It is a lot of overreaction on those teams, but it is kind of you know just it is kind of weird. We see this every year at the deadline, like the teams that maybe make the biggest moves. Sometimes after that big move happens, they don't just automatically gel right away. Um, you know, those new players got to come in there, and, and a lot of teams are you know making big moves. It's a team that is you know either on the edge of competing or competing big time in their in their division and sometimes messing up that chemistry for just a little bit can throw them off um you know but at least in the Padres case and and the Yankees you definitely expect them to turn around and the Brewers it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout actually is of the Brewers because um you know one of the guys they already traded or for into Nelson Lamette they've already let go um and then you know trading Hader away that was a big part of their clubhouse in general um so it's gonna be interesting to see how that is yeah I, I can't i can't believe they just dfa'd lamette like i figured that he would have been somebody that they would at least attempt to to fix something with yeah. him turn him into a good bullpen arm because i mean it's not 
we're you know we're only a couple years removed from him being a really good starting pitcher and i know he's had a lot of injuries but man like just dfaing him without even giving him a shot like that that seemed weird to me i mean i figured that that was actually a legit part of that trade and yeah. not just like a throw in for money reasons but yeah, that's he, what it seems like it is he, i mean he has legit stuff he really does um and it was really shocking to see that that they dfa'd him it was on friday i believe right i want to say it was friday I morning that they it got was. Yeah. but in general um yeah, it's pretty wild, but it's just it is kind of funny looking, you know, after a week later, looking back at it and just kind of seeing what what the uh, full thoughts are. But let's go ahead and move on to uh, to the main topic of this show with, you know, the Field of Dreams game we talked about last year was a great game between the White Sox and the Yankees. The whole production of that with Fox, they did a really good job. Uh, it's been you know renewed for at least a second season this year. It's going to be this week on Thursday night at 7:15 Eastern time. The game's going to be between the Cubs and the Reds, so I don't know if it's going to be as competitive as the game we saw last year, but um you know are you, I know that was it was really cool last year and they're bringing it for a second year. Are you worried that it's not going to live up to the hype again this year? Well, I think one of the big things about it is that last year not only was this like a really cool event and stuff, but for one thing it was a a game between two really really good teams that were world series contenders and this year it's pretty much the opposite of that it's two of the worst teams in the league i mean you're talking about you know the reds and and, and the cubs they're, they're just they're just bad but i mean some of the novelty of the it being a field of dreams game might have worn off it was kind of a unique thing last year but kind of just re repeating it this year it's kind of weird um you know i think that this type of thing should be repeated a lot but i think that maybe just you do different things every year, like have a field of dreams game one year. And then the next year have a, you know, a, a, some, some other type of game, have a, you know, a game at a historic site, like uh, say you play a game in Cooperstown or, or something, you know, play a game at, uh, I know they did the little league world series a couple of years ago and they did that game at, um, I forgot which fort it was, but uh, for the military, the military game, like, like play a game like that, you know, and, you know, just do, do, I would change it up year to year because, I mean, if you just do the Field of Dreams game four years in a row, people aren't going to care anything about it being the Field of Dreams game anymore. So, uh, but it, it's a cool, I think it is a cool event, and, and it's good that MLB is doing something like this to outreach, um, you know. And, and one thing, uh, and, you know, I'll bring this up again in a little bit with one of our other topics, but I'm glad that it's a game that, you know, you're not taking a home game away from the Cubs or the, or the, from a team that's in contention. You know, down a stretch of a, of a season, it's more of just like you're playing a game between two teams that are, you know, kind of out of contention, probably aren't going to have great attendance at their game anyways at home. So, you know, you're not like taking money out of their pockets and taking a home game, away, taking a game away from a great atmosphere that would be taking place. Although Wrigley Field typically is a good atmosphere, even when the Cubs are bad, but um, you know, it's one of those things too. They're, they're, they are playing a game that I don't think it's going to be, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more eyes on this type of game because it's the field of dreams game than it would be if it was played in Chicago and in Cincinnati. So I think that's also a good thing about it. Yeah. I just, my whole thing, I mean, I, I don't mind the field of dreams game. Like you said, it, it's going to be bring, be something that brings outside viewers into a game of baseball, you know, and my whole problem is I just don't want it to feel like this year is a letdown. I feel like last year was such a good game. The game was awesome. The broadcast was awesome. Like everything to do with that whole, like 
it was kind of like a week-long celebration even getting up to it but really that whole day of everything they did with you know the players and walking out of the corn that way like it's stuff that you hadn't seen before that was you know it was, it was cool it was cool to see for a first time i just feel like that luster is not going to be there this year and i don't feel like the game's gonna you know live up to as much of the hype as it did last year because you know it's the cubs and the reds so i just i hope i hope i'm wrong i really do um but you know i it would be something that i would you know put in a rotation like you said you know do other things maybe bring a field of dreams game back every three or four years maybe or five years you know and then do a little league classic and then uh, you know on a on an army base or on you know some sort of military base um or at a historical site like you were mentioning uh, and just make it like a rotation that way so it doesn't just all get jumbled up and every year you're trying to compare it to the last year which I feel that a lot of people are going to do. I feel like at this one they're going to be like, "Oh, well, last year's was great, but this year's was, you know, not a, not great, and it, it's a letdown." And I think that's what I'm really afraid of happening. Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely that definitely the case here. But we'll see. Hopefully, it's a great game and it's entertaining and people tune in and, and everything. But I won't hold my breath over it. Yeah. So you know, jumping on the fact of trying to bring eyes from outside the sport in for a game. Um, MLB also announced, I think it was last week, but with the trade deadline, we were so busy, uh, we didn't get to talk about it. MLB announced the London series is going to come back. We know they've done a London series before. We've, they've done a series in um, Australia, and I believe one was in Japan as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they've announced it for next season. It's going to be June 24th and 25th, a two-game series between the Cardinals and the Cubs. Yeah, so I think that one of my biggest things that I think that Major League Baseball needs to do is outreach in Europe because, you know, they've, they've got a great base in Asia with, with baseball people, you know, in, in baseball, South America and Central America, especially it's, Central America obviously is huge, but in South America, it's growing in a lot of places, you know, Venezuela, Colombia, but it's starting to also kind of grow in like Brazil a little bit. Uh, but really where baseball's never really gotten a big foothold is, is in Europe. And I think that going over there and playing a game in London, you know, maybe in a couple years play a game in Germany or in, or in France or something, that's stuff that I think is a really, really, really good thing for the game. Now, as I mentioned a minute ago, I was talking about how the Cubs and Reds, you're not really taking a big game away. Uh, but I don't really like the fact that they're going to play a Cubs-Cardinals game over there like make it an interleague matchup that's not really a big rivalry or something i mean cubs cardinals every single one of those games should be played in in st louis or chicago i mean that's like one of the sacred rivalries of baseball it's like the giants dodgers or or you know the yankees red Sox. like it's one of those types of things where you, you really want that to be played at home stadium but either way i think it's gonna be a lot of fun to see you know, the reception for this over there and hopefully grow the game overseas. I mean, we've seen what's happened with the NFL and how much they're getting support over in, in the UK now. And then in the NFL, you know, football is not even an international sport at all. I mean, it's not played anywhere but the U.S. I mean, baseball is already an international sport and you can grow it to another con- continent and do, and do really well. So I think that's huge for the game. And uh, I'm really glad that they're doing this again. I just kind of hate that it's the Cubs-Cardinals matchup because that's one that, you know, I feel like that should always be played at a home ballpark. But that's just me. So, Yeah, I do love that they are making this attempt to go and reach out into, you know, the Europe um, 
you know, the Europe region to try and bring baseball over there as well. Um, you know, to me, I don't, I, I think this is a game or at least a two game series that should be, you know, that should be taken up abroad places that like, Hey, you know, the Cubs and Cardinals is a big game. Like, you know, the rivalry there. And if, as long as MLB does it the right way, like you can play this up, you can play the Cubs Cardinals rivalry up to hype it up even more over there. Um, rather than, you know, if it's just a game between the, you know, the twins and the reds or something like, I don't think anybody would be as interested in that game. I feel like it is good to have some sort of a, a high profile team or two high profile teams in a rivalry matchup. I think that that adds to the allure of what you're doing by taking it over there. Um, and if you're, I think I don't believe, don't hold me to this, but I believe they're each going to be the home team. So it's really taking like one home game from each. That's really not all that much. And I think the exposure you're going to get from being overseas um, as well is going to help that revenue per se. Um, and you know, an MLB is going to help the teams with the revenue at that point. But I think, I think at least to me, that should be the type of series that gets taken over there. So you can really showcase like what, baseball is especially in a rivalry game where the Cubs and Cardinals always play close. The Dodgers and Giants always play close. The Red Sox and Yankees always play close. It's just something about when those teams match up, they're usually good games. Uh, so to me, I don't hate the, the the matchup here. I think it's actually a matchup that should be, you know, for it. And I think this was, this is the type of matchup that should be in the field of dreams game rather than a, you know, Cubs Reds, where I understand that's still a divisional game, but, the Cubs Reds doesn't have the allure to it. I mean, last year was was good because of the the White Sox and the Yankees. But I mean, if if you had a, a Yankees Red Sox game, or if you had a Dodgers Giants game, or if you had you know a Cubs Cardinals game, or any one of those actual rivalries there, like I feel like the game's more meaningful at that point. Um, so I I like that being at the London series with with a series like this. Yeah, and I get your point. I I just you know I think that it's those specific games like the. Not necessarily the the fact that it's two good teams. Like I, if the White Sox played the Yankees, if they did that over in London, that would, I think that would be fantastic. That would be like a best case scenario, because that's not two teams with like crazy animosity to each other and stuff. But it's something about those three rivalries: the the Red Sox, Yankees, the Cardinals, Cubs, and the Giants, Dodgers, and, and a few others to a lesser extent, like the Subway Series or the Braves Mets or you know, somebody like that. But, you know, it's those, like, three, like, super big-time rivalries that I think think the biggest part of them is the fan interaction. You know, the, the fans being all, you know, all the hatred and, and going into packed-out crowds. And I, I think that just – it kind of stinks to have that – to take those away. Whereas you could just have, like – you could have the Yankees play the White Sox over there and have a great game between two really good teams and, you know, have that as the showcase where – you know, but you still get that, you know, those sacred rivalry games at, at home. So, but I don't know. Either way, I mean, I think it's good that they're doing a, a you know, a good game in, in London. I think it's fantastic for the sport. So, yeah, and it also helps branch out from the the home run derby X that they did. Yeah, um, in London as well, kind of as a as a precursor to to something like this. But uh, yeah, I, overall, I think both of these things, the Field of Dreams game and the London series, um, that's going to be coming up next year. I think it's great for baseball. It's it's a part of the game that needs to happen. Trying to grow and bring outside 
outside uh you know eyes into the sport and get more people to know this to know the game um so i think that that's a that's a good thing but let's jump over to a bunch of injury news that has come out over the past week um the first one we're going to start with actually came out earlier this morning and it's with chris sale um he's battled injuries the past couple years coming back from a tommy john surgery and then having a fractured rib well he ended up i guess was riding his bike down a hill hit something fell off ended up fracturing his wrist and now he's out for the rest of the season yeah this is just you know it's tough with chris sale because he is a guy who like it feels like obviously tommy john's not a freak injury that's something that happens a lot to pitchers but these last two years has been the freak injuries i mean you know he came back from tommy john last year pitched down the stretch pitched in the playoffs and he was he was decent. He wasn't great, but he was decent. And then this year, you know, coming into the season, had that weird rib injury. That was like a – it was a weird rib injury. And then, you know, came back from it. First game back, gets hit in the hit in the hand and breaks his finger and goes on the IL. That's a freak injury. And then now he has a bicycle accident that breaks his wrist. So it's like – it's just it's really tough with him. I mean, he's only pitched – in the last since 2019, in the last three years, he's only pitched 47 uh, or 48 innings. So, you know, he's starting to enter like Strasburg territories of not pitching. Although, you know, obviously his injuries that he's had aren't quite as, you know, bad going forward as Strasburg's thoracic outlet syndrome is. But, but it's really tough for Sell. I mean, that 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 stinks. And you know, the Red Sox, who are kind of on the periphery of still being competitive, and you know, they did this weird buy sell thing at the deadline that, you know, where they sold, you know, they, they traded Christian Vasquez away, but they traded for Eric Hosmer and they traded for Tommy Pham, and you know, that was a weird thing to do. But you know, they kind of aren't, aren't sure where they're at. And now Chris Sell is not coming back where they thought he was. So. Um, it hurts the team. Obviously, I hope Chris Sell is, gets healthy and is ready to go next year. They said he will be ready by spring training next year. So hopefully he has a healthy season next year. He, believe it or not, he's entering his age 34 season. It's kind of hard to believe. But uh, this is a guy who's a Hall of Fame talent. He just hadn't been able to stay on the field the last few years. Yeah, Chris Sale is incredibly fun to watch when he's on the mound. It's like you mentioned, it's the past couple years it's just been when he's on the mound. Um, you know, hopefully – you know, the wrist injury, I mean, it might linger right into the beginning of the offseason. But, I mean, if he can have at least a full offseason of not having to deal with any injuries at that point and really just focus on building his strength back up, you know, building, working on himself, the mechanics-wise, because he does have that weird kind of motion. It's herky-jerky. Um, things can get out of whack. If he can just work on everything, get everything to where it's not hurting and just in line, you know, I, there's still a room that Chris Dale can have a good three or four more seasons, you know, really good three or four more seasons. Um, so I really hope he can do that. Cause like he's one of the funnest pitchers to watch when he's on the fastball with that's the wipeout slider that he has. It just, it makes hitters look stupid. It really does. Um, so yeah, no doubt. So let's go ahead and jump over to the White Sox now. And with their starting shortstop, Tim Anderson, he ended up tearing a ligament. I believe it was in his thumb, but I could be wrong. Uh, one of the, his ligaments in his finger. And he is going to be out four to six weeks, but it's looking more likely on the back end of that timeline. Yeah, so 
that's unfortunate for the White Sox. They had just started to get it going just a little bit, and then boom, you get another injury to one of your key players, and uh, you know it kind of it sucks for it sucks for Tim Anderson. He he's dealt with injuries this year, and the White Sox in general have dealt with injuries this year. I mean, they've had all kinds of injuries. I mean, you had you know Lance Lynn missed so many games. You had uh, Giolito missed some games, if I remember correctly. You had Liam Hendricks missed some games. Um, you know, you've had AJ Pollock's missed a lot. Yasmani Grandal's missed a lot. Tim Anderson has already had one IL stint. He's having a second now. Eloy has, has missed a lot. Moncada uh, missed a lot of the start of the season. I mean, the injuries have just really zapped the White Sox this year. And, and honestly, everyone's talked about how bad the White Sox have been and how they've been, you know, so, you know, just disappointing and obviously there is not the only reason for that it's not injuries but there that's a big part of it i mean they've had so many they like this they've had this good collection of talent this year and it just hadn't all been on the field so uh and, and a lot of it's been you know it's not like these guys are all like injury prone guys i mean tim anderson kind of is but you know when you look at like Yasmani Grandal, not really an injury-prone catcher in the past. He is a catcher after all, but uh, Lance Lynn's been a pretty durable starter for the last few years. I mean, Giolito, I don't think's ever been on the IL. Like uh, Pollock, definitely injury guy, but uh, Eloy, I mean, it's it's been really unfortunate for for the White Sox for a lot of the season. And but we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously six weeks would put us late September and. You know, with that division, you just never know. I mean, the White Sox might be able to, to stay afloat, you know, because of that division. Even though I think the Twins made some really good improvements at the deadline. But, um, man, it's, it's just tough on the White Sox. And, and obviously, you know, Tim Anderson was having a really good season, so it's tough on him as well, personally. But um, but definitely, uh, definitely tough. And uh, the Twins are now a pretty good favorite to hold on to that division, even though they're only two and a half games up on the White Sox. They're one game up on the Guardians. But, um, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. It, that, that, that might end up being the most entertaining divisional race there is out there this year. Um, you know, even though, um, obviously, you know, it's probably not going to be a divisional race that matters that much to the World Series. But Yeah, losing Tim Anderson, who is one of their their heart and soul players, one of the players that in that clubhouse brings the energy every day to them. Um, he's their leadoff hitter. He kind of sets the tone for their entire team. Um, he's a really good defensive shortstop. You mentioned the season he's having, you know, in his 79 games, 301 average, 339 on base. Doesn't slug a lot, but, I mean, with a guy like Tim Anderson, you don't expect that. Uh, just It's going to be really tough because he was a guy that would, at the top of that order, kind of sets the table for the rest of the offense. Um, and losing a guy that you know gives you that type of production there, as as well as him being one of the you know the clubhouse leaders and and uh, one of the heart and soul players of your team, that's really going to hurt for the White Sox who kind of need that. They you know with the, all the adversity they've kind of dealt with this year, you need that guy that it's kind of the glue for you, and then all the you know controversy behind Tony Larusa the past couple years even. I know this year hasn't been as loud as it was last year, but there still is some you know some controversy around him um at least losing a guy like that on the field i mean you know, i'm sure he'll still be in the clubhouse but losing a player like that on the field every day is gonna hurt and i and i wonder how much of an effect it's gonna have you know throughout you know i know obviously in the games because he's missing but just in general what it does to that team uh, it's going to be really yeah. kind of fascinating to watch how, if they're able to stay together and play together yeah and and 
that's 100% true. And you, and you do remember, you know, now, you know, as you say, it's a six-week injury. He could potentially be back for a playoff run. So that is an important thing to look at because, you know, looking at the standings and projections and stuff, the White Sox actually have the third weakest remaining streak to schedule in the American League. So, you know, I think they definitely have a shot to, to catch the Twins. So we'll see what happens. I'm um, I'm I, I'm I'm interested to see how the White Sox do without Tim Anderson. I'm not even sure who's going to play shortstop. I guess Luery Garcia will, uh, but um, yeah, I, I guess I mean he kind of taken over second base for Josh Harrison, yeah. but I guess that means Harrison's going to play every day. Josh again. Harrison's going to be playing every day again, but I don't know if I like that. But um, but yeah, I mean we'll see what ends up happening. It's definitely definitely a bummer though to see him out. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, let's jump back to the AL East, where we have one of the players that had kind of had a, a renaissance this year with the New York Yankees, and that is Matt Carpenter. He actually fouled the ball off his foot yesterday, has a foot fracture. Um, he's not quite sure how long it's going to be out. He said he's hoping he can return kind of at the end of the end of September as well, kind of towards the playoffs. Um, but usually these foot fractures, it's all just kind of how fast they're able to heal themselves. Yeah, so, you know, Matt Carpenter's obviously had a really crazy season. Uh, 15 home runs and 154 plate appearances is insane. Only 47 games played at age 36 after being basically kicked out of St. Louis. Um, you know, just he's had an insane year. But, um, you know, that's a bummer for, for the Yankees. And, and you know, also you got to remember Anthony Rizzo, he's not on the I.L., but he's actually got some back problems. He's they've announced recently, and he's kind of dealing with, and he's gonna he's gonna play through them to a certain level. But he might not be a hundred percent. So you lose two of your potential like first base DH type candidates right now uh, to that um, to that to, to injury and or at least partially to injury. And uh, man, that's um, it's gonna be tough on. It's gonna be tough on the on uh, the Yankees not having those two guys because they've really carried this team at times this year outside of Aaron Judge. Yeah, well, and then just jump back to to Carpenter's road this season at least. Don't forget he signed a minor league deal with the Texas yeah. Rangers and couldn't even make the major league team with with the Rangers. Um, and I know we've talked a lot this year about the Rangers not having talent wise there, and I understand maybe wanting to give some of the young guys a shot, but I mean he was still pretty pretty solid in their I think he was in AAA with them, but to, you know, a month or two into the season to then, you know, opt for free agency because you weren't getting called up to the major leagues with the Rangers and then sign a deal with the Yankees and then have the type of season that you're having right now. Um, that's just, it's a testament to his hard work and his swing changes that he's had to make, um, you know, cause he's had to make some of those for lack of being able to the bat speed as you get older um, and the launch angle, he was like one of the big launch angle guys. So being able to change all of that and have, you know, kind of a renaissance season, like I kind of said at the at the beginning, it's been really, I wouldn't say fun, but it's been really interesting to watch what Matt Carpenter has done um, because it, it just seems like he was hitting a home run or getting out all the time uh, for a good while there. But it's, it's going to be a big loss for them because you mentioned he was a, somebody who was able to play that potential first base spot with Anthony Rizzo, if he has to miss time. Um, I think he was even playing partially some of the outfield, um, you know, ever since Stanton has been out. And on the IL, he's been having to play some right field uh, for them at times as well. 
I know they got Bader, but they're still waiting for him to come back. So he was a guy who was playing pretty much every day as of late um, and still being pretty productive. So it's it's going to hurt the Yankees in that part. But hopefully if they get a guy like Bader back, if Hicks can stay healthy, you can sort of, you know, take over that role there. Um, and, and maybe he comes back, you know, with a couple weeks left in the season or or right before the postseason and, and gives you that lefty bat that you, you need. But jumping back to the Cubs, which we spent a lot of time on to begin the show with the Field of Dreams game in the London series. Um, but the Cubs made an interesting announcement uh, yesterday. Um, it's with Jason Hayward. He signed a massive contract. I believe it was six years ago. Um, he had a year and a half left on his deal, uh, and they pretty much announced that he's done with the team. He's not going to be with the team for the rest of the season and that he will not be with the team moving forward into the 2023 season as well. Yeah, and I hate it for Jason Hayward. You know, I think he's a great guy, and, you know, I got to spend a lot of time, you know, watching him play in, early in his career. But, um, you know, it, it sucks for him. Uh, he obviously just hasn't cut it on this contract in, in, in Chicago. Um, it's been a disaster contract. I mean, he's put up an above-average season hitting one time since he's been in Chicago, and that was in the short 2020. Um you know, it's just been a really rough time for him. Now, I thought it was interesting that they announced that they were going to take him or they, that, that they were going to not have him come back next year, uh, but that they were going to – that they haven't released him yet. So I'm assuming that they might try to trade his contract in some way. Uh, I don't know if they'll try to, you know, bad contract swap with him to get somebody that might play in their lineup a little bit or if they're going to um, – you know, just try to package a prospect with them to clear their books of him next year. I don't know what their offseason plans are, but they haven't released him yet. So there might be a, a way they're trying to move that $23 million he's owed next year. But, um, you know, it's a bummer for Jason Hayward and, you know, for the Cubs. I mean, this was just a contract that didn't work out. And, um, you know, it felt like when he signed it, he they might have been paying too much for him. And it ended up being like way beyond that. So, uh, bummer for him, but uh, you know it is what it is for him, and and hopefully hopefully this isn't the end of Jason Hayward, but it, it very well might be the last time we see him, you know, in a big league game. So yeah, I I have a, somebody has to at least take a flyer on him. I mean, I would I, you would think at least, um, especially if the Cubs are willing to package a prospect and pay down some of his contract just to get something off their books. Um, you know, he hasn't been the greatest as of late. Uh, you know, 2020 had a pretty good season, and then last year we've really, you know, failed to, to produce anything. But he just feels like somebody who should still have some sort of a, a mentor spot on one of these young teams, you know, at least for next season through the end of that contract. And then moving forward, who knows? Um, I know he doesn't do anything great anymore, but you just listening to what uh, Jed Hoyer was talking about the person, the man that he is, what he does for the community, what he does in the clubhouse. Um, there's got to be some team that would take on, you know, willing to take on some of the contract next year to just get a guy like in their clubhouse, help him mentor some of the outfielders um, and go moving forward with that. But it, it does suck overall for the, for the guy, you know, for the man, Jason Hayward, even though the player hasn't lived up to it. Yeah. But jumping back, one of the injury news that I forgot to mention, which I don't know how I forgot it, but was Clayton Kershaw uh, on – I believe it was Wednesday last week, uh, exited his start in the fifth inning 
uh, with back with a potential or with a back injury, um, and he went on the IL. The back injury he had earlier this year was on the right side. This one's on the left side, um, and they seem it seemed to say that it's not as serious as that one that cost him six weeks of the season. Um, and they're kind of looking at potentially somewhere in that three to four weeks band um, of having him able to come back. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when we talk about Kershaw, I mean, it's just part of Kershaw now. You know, you look at him as a guy who he's had a lot of injuries and to his back over the past several years. And there's going to be times where it's just not right, you know, and he needs to take a you know few weeks off. But, you know, it's one of those things that seems like it's not something that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season or anything. It just it sucks to watch a guy like him and, and – you know, for that matter, we, we talk about the chronic back injury that Mike Trout has now um, that, you know, it's such a bummer that he's, you know, keeps getting hurt, you know, and uh, with that same injury. So, um, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I'm glad that it's not something, you know, like an arm injury or something. But, you know, hopefully it's just a few weeks. But, um, you know, it, it's part of Clayton Kershaw now. When you just got to have to accept that he's going to miss a couple weeks every you know, so often because of that chronic back injury that he's got. Same thing's going to happen with Mike Trout, which is, is so unfortunate to have to deal to have to watch those two like Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famers struggle with these injuries when honestly, they're still really, really good players at, at this stage in their career. They just can't stay on the field. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like even with Kershaw's back injury that he's been dealing with, he's almost as good as he's ever been. I mean, I know he's, he's not quite the 170 RA guy, but – I mean, he's had a really great season this year, um, and when he's been out there, and the random part is, it just it's at random times. One time it was on a flight from Pittsburgh, and then the second time it's, you know, he was pitching just fine, and did like five warm up pitches, was just fine. The sixth warm up pitch, something bit him, um, and then he tried to throw another one, and and then he knew from that time where he had to come out. But it, it is something that that you're going to have to deal with with Kershaw, which is why I was a little surprised that they didn't go out and try and find at least another you know somewhat of a depth starter there and they traded mitch white away um was one of my things i think they should have went for another depth starter but it does sound like dustin may should be back within a week or so he's doing a rehab start tonight in oklahoma city and they're going to evaluate him after that if he's either going to make his next start in the majors or do one last final rehab start yeah so I was going to ask it, you know, because I haven't really thought about it much, but uh, do you know, since you're the resident Dodgers fan here, do you know anything about Walker Bueller potentially coming back? Or So Bueller is throwing. Um, he actually threw today in the outfield. Um, it still does sound like a middle to late September, yeah. um, September deal, but it's all kind of just how it, you know, how he feels. Because remember, he also went and had that bone chip removed. Yeah, um, in in the pitching elbow as well. So he's kind of dealing with that. But they said they haven't ruled out him, you know, coming back as a, a fire fire throwing guy out of the the bullpen for a couple innings. Um, but they are going to try and push him to be at least a you know a five guy, a, a five innings innings type of of guy there. Um, but I he's I don't think he's going to be pushed out to what we would you know come to see from a Walker Bueller in the postseason for you know, six or seven innings um, in there. I think it's, I think it's probably going to be either a five inning role or in a, a potential back end of the bullpen type deal. Gotcha. 
uh, with that. But we're going to stay with the Dodgers, um, with the Dodgers specifically, sort of. But the news broke just as we were finishing recording last week um, that legendary, legendary broadcaster of the Dodgers, baseball, and even other sports, football, golf, uh, legendary broadcaster Vin Scully passed away at the age of 94. Yeah, such a bummer, and I'll probably defer to you more on Vince Scully with, you know, having I'm because you've watched, watched, listening to him call Dodgers games for so many years, but he's just a guy who he knew the game of baseball, and he was always so good at you know describing everything and just keeping everything in perspective when it came to the game he, he wasn't overly excitable but you knew and there was a, like a really big moment going on that he you know you could tell by hearing him and that's sometimes that's like the best type of announcer is a guy that you know like you know this is an important moment but they let you kind of take in the moment more so than just like screaming through it some announcers these days like like gus johnson type guys he's not baseball but or Matt Vaskersian for baseball, just go crazy and scream and scream and scream into the microphone. And, you know, I think the Vince Scully style of describing the game and, you know, you can tell when there's this big intense moment going on, but it's like at the same time, you know, he's letting you kind of see what's going on. And he just does a great, did a great job of, you know, kind of letting the game come to the, come to the people. Uh, so I, I think that was really cool for him. Um, and obviously just, a guy who the other thing that stands out with him other than obvious of him being such a great guy and a great storyteller and stuff he was around for so many of the biggest moments in the sport i mean the, the kirk gibson home run the the uh hank aaron hitting the hitting his record breaking home run to, to break babe Ruth's record i mean and the list goes on and on and on and on i mean he's just been around for so many big moments and um you know, it's sad to see him pass away. He lived a great life, and, you know, he'll be forever remembered. So, um, I, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, you know, very disappointed to hear that he passed away. I didn't know that he had really been dealing with any kind of, you know, I, obviously he was he was up there in age, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know he had been dealing with any kind of uh, issues. So, it, it was kind of surprising to me to, to hear that he passed away, and, um, you know, just, I hated to see it, but... Um, you know, I'm glad that he lived a great life and he'll be remembered forever by baseball fans. Yeah, so I'm going to rant here a little bit, so I'm sorry for this one. But Vin Scully, the the broadcaster, just had the the perfect cadence, the perfect tempo, the the perfect timing on every single moment. The his ability, like you mentioned, to 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 give you the energy and give you the excitement of the moment. But then to also pause and let you, even through the TV or on the radio, because he did both of them very well, to let you feel the atmosphere that was there. Like, you knew, even when he would he would make a, a great call for the home run for with Kurt Gibson, like, he says it, and then you just have that perfect silence there where you just have the crowd, and you can hear the, the emotion in the stadium. You can feel basically the whole atmosphere of what that moment meant to everybody in the stadium and then what it meant to people at home. And he did a perfect job of, of weaving those moments throughout the game hidden himself. Um, and, and one of the things about him being the broadcaster is you don't see it anymore. 
He was a solo broadcaster. He went into these nine inning games of baseball and did it by himself. And he was, he was a legendary storyteller throughout the game. He knew that baseball is a game that gives you moments to where there's going to be downtimes where you can weave a story into it. And he would know just how to, to use the story and then know when something, something in the game was going to happen and then be able to stop his story right away, call the play, and then just smoothly bring his story right back in. Um, and, you know, it wasn't even just in baseball. I mean, he did some golf game or, you know, some golf as well. He, a lot of people don't realize he was the one that called the catch between Dwight Clark and Joe Montana for the 49ers game, that 49ers, which was the catch, I think is what it's known as actually the yeah. catch. The um, NFC championship. Yeah. He was, he was on the call for that as well. And he was able just to do every single sport he wanted to every single moment in any, any sport, he made it feel special. Um, you know, in, and I know I'm, I have more of a thing because I was able to watch him, but even thinking that like, I'm, I'm 26, he retired in 2016. You know, I, my time was very, very short of being able to actually know and listen to Vin Scully because I really didn't get into, into baseball until I was, you know, almost a teenager. Um, and being able to, to just have those those few years where he was able to, to call everything and and really made it feel special to me. But for what he meant to the city of Los Angeles and, and the sports world in general, it's you you felt it this week um, everywhere. I mean, everyone has had some story of what Vince Scully has been able to do for them um, or what he was as a kid listening or, you know, what he's done for them as a kid listening um, you know, with people putting radios under their pillows to go to sleep, listening to him call the games or him calling their favorite moment or, or players saying how special it was just to have him, you know, call one of their games or, or say hit their name even. Um, you know, to broadcast with one team with the Dodgers for 67 seasons in a row is very, very unheard of. Um, it is, you know, he was, I was watching one of the, the tributes to him and the thing is, like that, a lot of people, at least I didn't realize for a long time. I knew it the past couple of years, but he kind of ushered baseball to the West Coast. He came with the Dodgers and the Giants when they moved from New York together to the West Coast and was the voice of them at the time. Um, you know, so he basically introduced West Coast and saw West Coast baseball come from nothing into what we have nowadays. Um, and it's just. You know, to be able to have that and and have that reputation that he had and built there, it's it's beyond what anyone can say through words, and it's his impact will be felt long, long past what I'm able to say or what anybody's able to say um, on the game. But before I, I stop my rant here, there's one little nugget that I I saw after he had passed, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Before Vin Scully started calling baseball games, and I don't know the exact number, so don't hold me to it, but before he started calling baseball games, something like 10,734 Major League players had made their debut. From the time Vin Scully started broadcasting his first game to the day he retired, it was something like 10,727. It was something like within 10 or 15 players had made their debut from the time before he ever started broadcasting between the time he started to when he retired. 
So he basically, at one time until he retired, basically saw half of the Major League Baseball players ever to play the game play or debut, which was it's really amazing when you start to really think about it. Yeah, that that really is that really is impressive. I mean, and you know, like I said, if you've watched baseball for the last, you know. If you're not just a brand new baseball fan, you know who Vin Scully is, and, and every single person appreciates him. You know, and, and I think it's just great that you know we were able to have him as long as we did. So, absolutely. Well, uh, not to end on such a on such a sad point there, so let's jump over to the players of the week and, and wrap this show up. Um, so, for this past week, who do you have for your hitter? So my hitter I picked was Nolan Arnato. He has put up a 476 average in his last six games with three home runs, a 560 on base, a 1,000 slugging percentage. Um, you know, the guy who he obvi- obviously plays great defense at third base. Uh, he's been really, really good. And, and it kind of just is a – nobody's really talking about him that much right now. Uh, and I think that that's – you know, not fair because Nolan Arenado has actually put up the most wins above replacement in the National League by almost a half a half a war over Paul Goldschmidt, who obviously has been great this year too, teammates. But uh, no, none of them are close to Aaron Judge and what he's done in the American League. But uh, Nolan Arenado has put up 5.8 wins above replacement this year, and, and nobody's really talking about him in like the MVP conversation. Everyone's kind of talking about Paul Goldschmidt or. I guess they're still talking about Manny Machado for some reason, or, you know, uh, they're talking about Austin Riley a little bit, Freddie Freeman. They're not talking about Nolan Arnato right now. And I think they should be because he's been insanely good this year. Like I say, he's been putting up, you know, one, a 158 WRC plus on the season with playing gold glove defense at third base. I mean, what else could you ask for from, from a player? I mean, I know Paul Goldschmidt's been better as a hitter, but, I mean, he's not even he's not even close to what Nolan Arnado's done with the glove, and you know it, it's just interesting to me that nobody's really talking about him. But figured I'd shine a little bit of light on him because he has been the, probably the best hitter this week in the in the uh, in the league. So uh, good for good for Nolan Arnado and all the people, including myself, who were a little bit skeptical. I wasn't as skeptical as some, but I was a little bit skeptical of of his hitting translating out of cores, and I was dead wrong about that. So. Yeah, Arenado has been, you know, like you mentioned, one of the one of the best players in baseball this year. Um, you know, I think the the just the little reason that you don't hear about him quite as much um, in the MVP is he went through about a month spell where he had a little bit of a lull. Like I'm saying, lull is he still was batting like two seventy or two sixty or something and hitting for decent power. Um, but it made his numbers. I mean, he started off the season as one of the hottest players. I mean, we were talking about him and Manny Machado as the hottest hitter on the planet for the first, you know, like month and a half of the season. And then Paul Goldschmidt took that over. But Arenado had really, you know, for that for that month span or three to four week span right there, had kind of went into a little bit of a lull. And I think that's kind of when you saw people start kind of taking him out of the race. And then the past, I would say, even a couple of weeks. Um, he's really kind of surged back into that with a with a great week that you were mentioning here and and the defense that he still plays at an incredibly high level, um, and I, I I I do think that people are starting now to see that his offense, you know, wasn't just a Coors Field thing. Like I I understand there might be a little bit of of drop off, but I think a lot of people were expecting 
a good amount of drop off from him. Um, and I just, I just never thought that was actually the case. I mean, I just felt like he was such a good hitter in general um, that he would be able to survive wherever he was really playing. Um, and his home road splits weren't all that much different. Uh, so it's been a great week for Arenado as well. Um, you know, with, with a, a 16% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. I always kind of find it kind of funny when they have a, this exact same on, on both of those stats, but good week for Arenado and vaulting himself back into that, you know, MVP candidacy for sure. But for my hitter this week, I went with a first baseman DH guy. We didn't really see into the majors till this year. And that's uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, Derek Hall uh, guys, been pretty good this year for the Phillies. They've sort of needed it with Harper being out. Um, and then Castellanos and Schwarber. I mean, Schwarber fell into a, a rut lately. Castellanos kind of struggled most of the season. But Derek Hall this week, a 471 average, a 526 on base, a 1.118 slugging percentage for a 343 WRC+. Plus. Um, he is 0.6 war this week, but that's with a negative 0.4 defensive value. So if he was able to play, you know, even remotely, you know, better defense, he, he, that would probably be second this week uh, as far as hitters wise. But three homers, you know, four runs, four RBIs, just a, a, a kind of feel good story for a guy who had been kind of a career minor leaguer getting a shot this year and has been pretty good and had, had a pretty good week. Yeah, for sure. Derek Hall has been a big, big time piece for the Phillies. I don't, I don't think he's gonna keep up, uh, keep up what he's done so far, but um, you know, he's he's really helped them through the Harper injury, and uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe he's a piece that is actually is somewhat useful going forward. He definitely is a big guy, has a lot of power, so um, you know, maybe he can take advantage of that a little bit. You know, and obviously being 27 years old and in your first season in the majors doesn't really have too much of a track record, but be interesting to see if he's able to, uh, you know, stay in some, some kind of a role with the Phillies big league team. But, uh, moving on to pitchers here, uh, my pitcher of the week, um, I went with, um, I went with, uh, Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman has had a really strange season this year. Um, he's had this week, Pitched two starts, uh, 14 innings, did not give up a run. Um, he struck out a lot of guys. I think he struck out 15, and he walked maybe like one. Uh, so pretty good, maybe two. He, pretty good outings from Kevin Gossman over the last week. Um, he's had the weirdest season. He's got a 198 FIP. He's been he's he's been worth 4.4 wins above replacement, but he has a 367 batting average on balls and play allowed, which is just unbelievably high. Like that is a astronomical number, uh, and it's no way sustainable either. So uh, I think that he's a guy who, in this down the stretch, that that number just can't stay that high, and it's gonna come down. And as it comes down, if he continues to pitch the same way he's pitched so far this year, he's gonna have a huge last couple months. So. Uh, Kevin Gossman, uh, you know, good for him. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that he's finally starting to get some of the results, even though he's got a sub three ERA uh, on the season. He's starting to get some of the results that he's really deserved this year because he's actually been better than his ERA. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, than his ERA. So, yeah, Kevin Gossman was a guy who I wasn't quite as high on as other people um, coming into the year. His second half last year was horrendous. 
it was it was really really bad. He had a great first half last year, uh, but that second half, it kind of just did not look good at all. Um, and then coming over to the Blue Jays, I was hoping that they would be able to to find something with him that would, you know, help them click like kind of what they do with Robbie Ray after he had struggled. Uh, and he's been pretty solid overall for them. You mentioned leading the leading the league and for pitching WAR this year. Um, and that batting average on balls and play is incredibly high. It, like you mentioned, not sustainable at all. That should come down. Um, so it, it is kind of a weird season. I mean, he's went through a stretch where he was really good, and I think he struggled for three or four starts. And then now he's kind of got back to being on the better side and, and being good again. Um, I just always wonder if if that second half kind of of last year is going to creep back anywhere, um, and for, for Kevin Gossman especially. But... For my pitcher this week, I went with a pitcher who made his season debut this past week. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not, but uh, a guy by the name of Jacob Degrom made his season debut now for the uh, for the Mets. Seems to be a pretty good pitcher. In two starts over this week, went ten and two thirds innings with eighteen strikeouts, one walk, uh, three earned runs, but. As as Matt can attest to, one of those games were against the Braves, and where he had five and two thirds innings with two earned runs, one homer, one walk, but twelve strikeouts. Yeah, and you mentioned that game. He was perfect through those first five and two thirds, and then he walked. Uh, I think he walked Ronald. No, he, yeah, I think it was Ronald Acuna. He walked. No, it was Dance, Dansby Swanson hit a home run. He walked Arcia. So Ronald Acuna was out on Sunday. He hit. He walked Arcia, and then he gave up a home run to Dansby Swanson. That gave up two runs so you look at his final line you're like five and two-thirds innings two runs like that's good but it's not DeGrom good but you know it was not didn't tell the whole story and remember too DeGrom was on a pitch count in his two games that he's pitched so far so uh he he was only he was limited to, I think about 75 ish in his second start uh so you know he wasn't even really fully able to go you know he probably would have got pulled after that you know sixth inning anyways on Sunday and I think he got pulled after five in his first start. So, uh, you know, just pretty insane from him so far. Yeah, DeGrom has been incredible. He looked so good. I mean, what was he throwing, 92 or 93 mile an hour sliders? Oh, no, like, I think it was 94, 95. Oh, that's just so insane, dude. Like, I couldn't even imagine what that, as a hitter, what that would even look like. Like, that's incredibly difficult. That almost basically impossible to hit. Yeah, and, and it's the fact too that you know a lot of those ninety four, ninety five. Some people call them sliders, but they're really more of like they really move like cutters, you know. And they're not; they don't move a ton. But it's more like a you know that hard slider slash cutter. But the Grom's like it breaks. I mean, it breaks a lot. So it's kind of like you're watching somebody throw a traditional slider, except it's <laughs> except it's ninety four. So pretty insane that or a, a like a 103 cutter like Camilla of all three yesterday yeah like then the game just crazy stupid what these guys can do but there are these anything else you want to you want to wrap up with the show um not too much um honestly you know from looking at the standings right now uh, you know we got two months left but it's kind of we're kind of getting to a point to where there's not really a whole lot of close races going on. Uh, you know, you got the central, both the centrals, but the NLS is for sure decided. 
the American League East is probably decided. The American League West is decided. The NL East after this past weekend is getting close to decided. I don't think seven games is completely insurmountable, but it's, it's pretty pretty close to it. And then, uh, you know, really, so we got the AL Central with a three-team three teams within three games and then the NL central where the Cardinals and Brewers are going to duke it out for that, for that title. And, you know, it's kind of time to start paying attention to this, this a little bit closer. We only got, you know, about six, six or seven weeks left in the season. Um, you know, everyone's played over a hundred games. Now uh, we got about 50 games left. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to these races. And then the wild cards are going to be pretty close too. in fact, um, you know, I believe, the Orioles are still only like one game out or something of the wild card. So uh, pretty crazy that they're still kind of in it. Um, It's kind of hard to believe, honestly. So uh, we'll see also the Mariners. Can they make their first playoff push since back in uh, 2001? So definitely going to be an interesting, um, definitely going to be an interesting finish to the season and uh you know it's gonna be exciting to watch it's gonna be some good baseball over the next couple months yeah it's gonna be really uh really interesting to see um and then speaking of that orioles team just the one saying they're fun oh they are fun that hank our our buddy who's an orioles fan says don't call them good just call them fun so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna end off with the orioles being a fun team so far this year and hopefully that fun team makes a push at a wild card spot because that would be pretty interesting to see. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Batflip Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week.